Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Before I do that, I want to just make a few quick announcements, um, and that is number one, uh, Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on Facebook Live, uh, I will be joined by my father, Pastor Randy Thurman, and by my one of my spiritual fathers, Dr. Peter Bonnady from um, Brooklyn, New York, and from Kingdom Life Ministries in New York, and we're going to be having a conversation about racial reconciliation. Um, those of you who don't know my dad... Uh, he's white. Um, those <laughs> that was a joke, yeah. Those who don't know Dr. Bonnady, he's black. And Dr. Bonnady and my father have been the best of friends for 30-something years and have traveled the world together ministering. Uh, they've shared the stages together all over the place. And uh, he has remained, Dr. Bonnady's remained for me these throughout the years one of the people that I look to and one of the people that I know when he speaks to me, it's like the Lord is speaking to me. God is speaking to me through him. And uh, I've, I honor him. And uh, we talked about it earlier this week, and we said, you know, with everything going on in our country, we need to have some real discussion. And what, what we really wanted to see, what, what the discussion's going to be is a celebration of the unity between uh, our families for three and a half decades. Uh, and so we think that the world needs to see that right now. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. So you can join us on Facebook Live Tuesday night at 6 p.m. There'll be advertisements going out for that starting today, so you can be aware of it. Uh, the only other announcement I have for you is that Wednesday morning, or excuse me, Wednesday afternoon at, at noon at 12 o'clock, we'll be downstairs in the church office here uh, doing our usual Wednesday afternoon prayer. So if you'd like to come join us, we'd love to have you. Uh, we'll be here and we'll be praying up a storm and it'll be great. So, amen? Are you ready for the word today? I am. Um, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Um, the title of my message today is Looking for a Loophole. Looking for a Loophole. Um, I, I want to share... You know, I was, I was going to start a series in Philippians. We're, we're doing, I don't think I've even shared that with you guys yet. We're next, starting next week, we're going to be journeying and taking the summer to go through the book of Philippians. And it's going to be fantastic. And I had I'd actually been preparing for several weeks, almost a month, um, to start that today with our first in-person service. I was like, this is the great chance. We'll start a new series. It'll be great. Um, and then everything that has happened in our world um, over the last two weeks happened. Uh, George Floyd was killed by a police officer, a white police officer in Minneapolis, and that sparked outrage and pain and anxiety in the nation, and um, it's caused upheaval in our culture. It's been unavoidable. If you haven't been living under a rock, you know what's happened and what's been taking place. And so I wanted to add my voice to that today. I wanted to share with you um, what I believe is a, is a truly biblical perspective on how we as the church should respond and add our voice and add our hearts to what's going on in our world. So the title today is Looking for a Loophole. 
Uh, I believe that what's happening in our country should pierce the heart of every believer. I don't think anybody should be immune to it uh, because I believe there's a lot going on and we need to have something to say because how many of you know we have the answer? Amen. The the answer is Jesus. Amen. And we have the answer. So uh, I I want to ask those who are with me today, those who are watching online, uh, please hear what I have to share with you today. Please don't tune out if it gets uncomfortable. Uh, no matter what your skin color is, no matter what your background is, can just stick with me. And, uh, and if, if this touches your heart, if this means something to you, those who are watching online, I'd ask you to share it with people because I believe that what we're going to share today is going to make an impact in people's lives. So let's take a moment and pray together. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you that you are the one who was and is and is to come, that Jesus, you stand before, uh, during and beyond time and space. You and you alone are the one that we look to this morning. Well, Father, we join in with the author of Hebrews and we turn our eyes to Jesus today, who is the author and finisher of our faith. We look to you, Prince of Peace. We look to you, King of Kings. We look to you, Lord of Lords. We look to you, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We look to you, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus, we thank you that you and you alone are the answers, or you are the answer for what ails our country and what ails the hearts of humanity today. We thank you that you are the answer. And today we look to you for guidance. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts. We ask you to comfort our hearts and comfort our minds. We ask you, Father, to bring wisdom that where there is confusion, we pray that your word would come and bring clarity and bring wisdom to our hearts and minds today. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So my main text is Luke chapter 10. Begin reading in verse 25, and we're going to read down through verse 29. The subject for discussion today is looking for a loophole. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Everybody say, good question. Right? It's a good question, right? Verse 26, he said to him, this is Jesus talking, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Or how do you determine? What do, you, do you read the law and what does it say? So this lawyer answered, verse 27, and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Everybody say, bad question. Bad question. The first question was a great question. How do I inherit eternal life? The second question was a terrible question. This man is searching for a way to justify his actions. And he's asking Jesus to define a line for him, not so that he can know what is the difference between right and wrong, not so that he can do the right thing. He's asking Jesus to define a line for him so that he can see how close he can get to that line and still make it to heaven. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for an out. 
Oh, Jesus, how do I get to heaven, Lord? Tell me, how do I get to heaven? Well, it's simple. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus mentions this over and over in the four Gospels. You can see this concept of loving God and loving the person next to you. Loving God and loving the person next to you. Over and over and over it appears in Scripture. It's because, and in other places actually, Jesus says, on this are all the law and the prophets. Everything that God ever said from the Old Testament can be summed up and distilled down into this statement. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And notice it doesn't just say love your neighbor. We say love your neighbor, but Jesus said love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, how do you want to be loved? What, what, What is the level of intensity that you want somebody to love you with? Or I could put it to you this way. I try to remind my children of this all the time. How do you want to be treated? Daddy, Abigail did this. Sophia did this. Our youngest, Sophia, she's, she's not yet three. She'd been waking up. This is her new habit. I hope that she watches this video like the day of her wedding. But this, she's been having this habit. She'll wake up in the morning and she'll just start yelling. She just starts yelling. And Abigail, her older sister, is in the bunk above her trying to sleep. And she just starts yelling, Mommy! Nah! Nah! And she'll yell anything. She doesn't care what she's yelling. And, and, and Abigail will often come to me very frustrated. And I say, baby, you got to forgive. Why? Why, Daddy? Well, wouldn't you want to be forgiven if you were the one yelling? How do you want to be treated? Love your neighbor as yourself. This guy's not interested in loving his neighbor. He's looking for a loophole. He doesn't want to change. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. He doesn't want to change. He wants to stay comfortable. He completely misses Jesus' entire point. He misses the heart of the message. I wrote this in my notes. It's not that he doesn't have the answer. It's that he asked the wrong question. The right question would have been, how do I love my neighbor as I love myself? And did you notice Jesus answers that question that he didn't ask? Don't you love it when you ask God the wrong question and he answers the question you should have asked? Isn't that awesome? Because the answer to the question, we won't read it for the sake of time because I have a lot of things to say this morning, but he goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. The good Samaritan who showed compassion, who, who, who didn't care who his neighbor was. He said, it's not, it's not a question of who the neighbor is. It's the question of how are you going to react when you see somebody in crisis? Jesus answers that question because that should have been the man's follow-up question. He started with a great question. Lord, how do I get to heaven? How do I inter- etern- ugh, inherit eternal life? Great question. He should have asked, how do I love my neighbor? But instead, he was looking for an out. He was looking for a loophole. I read this passage this morning. This is funny because about four days ago, four or five days ago, the Lord gave me the the bones of this message and gave me the title for it. Originally, my title was going to be, Who is My Neighbor? Uh, But then the Lord said, Looking for a loophole is what I heard in my heart. And then this morning... I was reading through this in the Message Bible. I don't know if we can pull up verse 29 in the Message Bible. 
guys. I didn't even ask them to do this. I didn't prepare them for this. But uh, if, you can, if you can see on the screen, uh, look at this in the Message Bible. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Isn't that wild? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit's just smarter than all of us put together? It's just really good. You see, he's not asking how to love his neighbor. He's like, Jesus, define this line. Give me the border of what the rule is so that I can figure out just how close I can get to the border without getting burned. Parents, you know the kids, they do this. You say, don't leave the yard, you know, or don't leave the porch. And they say, what, this porch? This one? Can I put my, can I put my toe here? Can I, get, can I get, just get beyond just a little bit? Can I push the boundary just a little bit? It's human nature to want to rebel against laws. It's human nature to want to rebel against rules. And so the reason this guy's asking Jesus for a rule is so that he can know, he can know what to rebel against. In other words, how far can I stretch this truth before it becomes a lie? How, 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 how much can I hurt this person, person before it becomes categorized as abusive? Lord, how many punches in the face is right before it becomes sinful? Is it five, six punches? Because then I'll just, if it's six punches, I'll just hit him five times and maybe give him a little knee, and then I'll still be within the rules. You see, we spend so much of our time looking for loopholes. We spend so much of our time because, listen, we're, it, when it comes down to it, most people are selfish. Hello? Most of us are selfish, those watching on the internet today. Most of us are selfish. And rather than preserve our neighbor, we would rather preserve our comfort. And so we want to go, okay, what's the line? How, how far can I push this? Where's the loophole that I can find that lets me look good on paper while still preserving my own comfort? You say, what does this have to do with racial reconciliation in America? Only everything. Okay, only everything. Jesus gave him an answer, but it was an answer he didn't want to hear. Or it was, it, to, very, to the very least, it was an answer he wasn't prepared to hear. There is only one answer for racism in America, for racism around the world. I've been to other countries, and let me tell you, racism in other countries looks different than it looks here, but it's still the same spirit. It still the same, comes from the same spot in the pit of hell. It's still prejudice for one person against another person. The skin tones change. The demographics change. You go from nation to nation. I remember, I remember when I went to Kenya to minister to pastors there, and I got to hear about what racism looks like in Kenya. It's when two tribes hate each other, and they just, they just want to kill each other. Their skin's the same color, but they hate each other. When I was, when I was a kid, my grandmother uh, is from the, the center of the nation of Italy. We come from right in the middle of Italy. Well, it, Italians hate people from Sicily. If you don't know where Sicily is, Sicily's the football that the, that the boot of Italy is kicking. Uh, there, it's a big island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And my, I, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was shopping with my grandmother. We were in a flea market. And we came upon this stall, and there was this guy selling watches. And my grandmother, she's a short little Italian woman. She's cooking up in heaven right now, I think. But uh, she was with me, and she said, do you want, Joshua, do you want one of these watches? I said, yeah, sounds great, you know. So we start talking to the owner of the stall. 
He's got a thick Italian accent. My grandmother's got a thick Italian accent. Everybody erupts into Italian. We were having a great time. My, my grandmother asks him, where are you from? Where are you from in Italy? Dove vai? That's how you'd say it in Italian. Dove vai in Italia? And he said, Sicilia, which is Sicily. My grandmother looks at me and says, put down the watch. No joke. Prejudice looks like all kinds of stuff all over the world. But here in America, we have a black-white problem, right? We have a black-white problem here in America. That's what prejudice looks like here. But I'm going to tell you, there's an answer for it, and it's not a black answer, and it's not a white answer, and it's not a red answer, and it's not a yellow answer. It's not a any color answer. Jesus is the answer. It's not a political, economic, sociological answer. It's the same answer that it's always been. What did Paul say to the Corinthians when he got to Corinth? He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. How are we going to heal the hurt of racism in America? It's got to happen according to the gospel or it's not going to happen. And I intend to prove that to you this morning. I'm not opposed to a better system. I would love to see better systems in America. I'm not opposed to better legislation or better vision. How many of you would love to see even better vision for America? Here's the problem. If we don't redeem the culture, the culture will destroy whatever better system we create. Whatever better vision we come up with, whatever, whatever better legislation gets produced, no matter what we do in the natural to try to fix a problem so deep as racism, it, if the culture doesn't get fixed, if the hearts of people don't begin to change, then, then those with corrupt and wicked hearts will manage to mess up whatever better system we create. I think of what my pastor friend Hal, Hal Hardy in, in Atlanta says. I've heard him say this. I think he's told me this maybe two times now. But it, from the first time he said it, it rang in my ears and I wrote it down. He says, you'll never rise to the level of your vision. You'll always fall to the level of your culture. You don't rise to the level of your vision. You fall to the level of your culture. So the culture has to match the vision if we want the vision to come to pass. And if we have a vision for an America where black and white play together in love, if you remember the words of Martin Luther King, I have a dream this afternoon. You all remember the I have a dream speech. If that's going to come to pass, we need to fix the hearts of people in America. We need to fix the culture that undergirds the dreams of men like Martin Luther King. So how do we redeem culture? There's only one answer. There's only one answer. That's Jesus. I want to prove this to you systematically today. How are we doing in here, okay? I hope it's not too comfortable. Or I hope it's not too uncomfortable. And I hope it's not too comfortable either. Amen. <laughs> Listen, there are at least four different non-negative reactions that we as human beings experience when we see someone in crisis. There are at least four different non-negative reactions that we experience as human beings. This is, this is psychological, what I'm getting ready to share with you. This is psychology. So bear with me for a moment. Indulge me as we look at four psychological responses, four natural human responses to crisis. The first one is apathy. The second one is sympathy. 
The third one is empathy, and the fourth one is compassion. If you're taking notes, I'll share those with you a couple more times. Apathy, sympathy, empathy, compassion. One more time. Number one, apathy. Number two, sympathy. Number three, empathy. And number four, compassion. Now, I want to describe to you what each one of these different human reactions looks like. And I want to use a scenario, a common scenario that we can all relate to, to describe that. And so I'm going to use the scenario of a car accident. Because I think that everybody, if you got a license, you've pulled up next to a car accident that's happened on the road. You've seen something go wrong, right? I think that's pretty common to everyone. So imagine you're driving down the car or down the road, you're on your way to work, and traffic starts to slow down. You go, what's going on? Why is everybody slowing? Why are all these red lights and the brakes? And, and you're pulling up, and by the time you slow down and get to a crawl, you look to your right, and you see there on the shoulder, two cars have collided. There's been an accident, and at this moment in time, you have one of these four reactions. Every one of us has one of these four reactions. The first reaction is apathy. The first reaction is apathy. The definition of apathy, you see up, on, up here on the screen. Apathy is the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. Lack of interest in or concern for things that others find moving or exciting. An absence or suppression of passion. In fact, the, the word passion is the common word in all of these four definitions. In all these four words. Apathy, sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Apathy, sympathy, empathy all sound like they come from the same word. That's because they do. They come from the Latin word pathos, which means passion. And then, of course, the word compassion has the word passion right in it. Apathy is when you just don't care, right? Anybody ever been apathetic about anything before? You just don't care. I see this car accident's happened, and uh, I'm late for work, so at least it wasn't my car. Apathy says, I can't be bothered to see. I can't be bothered to see you hustle right on by. Let me tell you something. God hates apathy. Amen. God hates apathy. Apathy is one of the things that made the Pharisees the way that they were. Do you remember when Jesus heals the woman who was bent over? She was doubled over. Do you remember that miracle? She, was, she had some kind of hernia or something wrong with her spine, uh, something wrong with the muscles in her midsection. She was doubled over. The Bible says for 18 years. And Jesus heals her on the Sabbath, and guess what it does? It makes the Pharisees angry. And, and, and they challenge Jesus on it, and they say, Jesus, you're not supposed to be healing on the Sabbath. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus says to them, why shouldn't, this is the Josh Thurman paraphrase of Jesus' response. He says, why shouldn't this daughter of Abraham, this Jewish person, 
who has been dealing with this problem for 18 years. Why should she not be healed? And the subtlety, if you read between the lines and what Jesus is saying, he's looking at the Pharisees and he said, you had 18 years to help this lady and you didn't do it. You had 18 years. I happened to walk by her on the Sabbath and I decided she needed to be helped. Apathy is what made is what one of the things that fueled the religion in the Pharisees. They didn't care about anybody else but themselves. They're always looking for a loophole. Is that my neighbor? Are they in pain? No, that's not our neighbor. That's a Samaritan. Oh, good, because I didn't want to have to stop. Hello. God hates apathy. You say, prove it, Pastor Josh. We won't go there for time, but Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Apathy causes God to get sick. I don't think I can spell it out any harsher than that, so we'll just leave it at that. God hates apathy, guys. Now, the next of these four human responses is sympathy. Apathy says, I'm in the car, I see that the accidents happen, but I can't be bothered to see, I gotta go. Sympathy says, I see and I agree. See, look at the definition for sympathy here. It's the harmony of feeling, naturally existing between persons of like tastes or opinion. Unfortunately, when we deal with the issue of racism, oftentimes, people get very sympathetic and stop right there. People get real sympathetic. They say, I see. I see what's going on. And I even agree with it. I have a harmony of feeling with what's going on. But the problem with sympathy alone is that sympathy is acknowledgement without action. Sympathy says, I see and I agree. It's a little bit better than apathy, but it can still miss the mark. Number three is empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the psychological identification with or vicarious experiencing of the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another. I highlighted the words psychological identification and vicarious experience. We're going to use a few, you know, $6 words in this definition here for just a moment. Empathy is when I have a desire not just to see, not just to agree, but also to feel too. If, if apathy says I can't be bothered to see and sympathy says I see and I agree, empathy says I see but I want to feel too. So empathy stops the car, gets out of the car, walks over to the person and asks the question, what does it feel like to be in a car accident? Are you okay? What does it feel like? I want to know what you're going through. And empathy is far better than apathy and far better than sympathy. But once again, it has the potential to fall short if it's not mixed with action. I can't be bothered to see, says apathy. I see and I agree. I acknowledge. Empathy says I see, but I want to feel too. 
Most of what people call social justice oftentimes doesn't go beyond empathy. And I'm, I understand that some of the things I'm saying today maybe put me in hot water, but I'd rather be in hot water than be comfortable. Most of the shortcomings of what I see in social justice, quote-unquote social justice, is that it doesn't ever get beyond empathy. The main shortcoming in these first three options, apathy, sympathy, empathy, the main shortcoming in these is that we can engage in any one of them and still hold on to our selfishness. Amen. Social media is a great example of this. Hey, I'm going to post 117 times today about how black lives matter so that I feel better about myself. But I may or may not want to change my attitude towards the black person that I work with. I may or may not want to change my attitude towards the person of another skin color that I work with. I may not want to even bother to see things from anybody else's perspective. I want everybody else in cyberland to know that I care. Problem is, these first three let us hold on to our selfishness. And we can't afford to hold on to our selfishness if we're going to see change. If we're not careful, careful, excuse me, if we're not careful, we'll be empathetic and still be looking for a loophole. There's a fourth level. First was apathy, second was sympathy, third was empathy, the fourth is compassion. If apathy says, I can't bother to see, if sympathy says, I see and I agree, if empathy says, I see but I want to feel too, then compassion says, I see and I'm going to join you. I'm going to get in the car with you. I'm not going to put divide or difference or distance between us. I'm going to get in the car with you. Look at the definition for compassion. It's a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. A strong desire to alleviate the suffering. This perfectly is described in Jesus' response with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He went to where the pain was and offered to help. He went right to where the pain was and he offered to help. He made a difference in this man's life. This man who was very different from himself. The beauty of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that it answers the question that Jesus it answers the question that that man asked of Jesus, and it also answers the question that he should have asked of Jesus. It answers it all together for us because Jews had an intense prejudice towards Samaritans. They considered them to be half-breed Israelites. These were people who started out as Israelites and hundreds of years prior had mingled with other nations. And so they had all kinds of different lineages going on. And so the Jews who were quote-unquote pure bloods looked at the Samaritans and actually considered them as dogs. That's what the Bible says. 
The Bible teaches us that the Jews looked at Samaritans and considered them to be on level and on par with animals. It was disgusting. And seeking a loophole, this man asks the question, and Jesus answers it so beautifully by saying, this is how you deal with suffering when you see it. Compassion. A strong desire to alleviate the suffering. He went to the pain and offered to help. Can I ask you a question this morning? Can you imagine if God had been apathetic toward us? Can you imagine if God had been sympathetic toward us? Can you imagine if God had only been empathetic toward us? Could you imagine what it would have looked like in heaven if God saw the challenges and the problems and the ravages of sin in the earth and, and, and Gabriel and Michael and the archangels and the seraphim and the cherubim and all the, all the angelic hosts would have come to him and bumped him on the shoulder and said, God, what do you think of what's going on down there with Adam and Eve? What if God's apathetic response would have been, not my problem. I made them, but yeah, they're screwing up. Look at them, they're killing each other, they're just, look at this craziness. Adam and Eve, they sinned, they did exactly what I told them not to do, and now the whole world is corrupt. Not my problem. Can you imagine if God would have been apathetic with you? Could you imagine if all he would have been was sympathetic? God, do you see what's going on with, with the world, with the, with the creation that you made? Do you see what's happening, Lord? And he could have been like, yeah, I see it. Yeah. It's tough, isn't it? It's pretty tough. Gabriel, we got any snacks? Hey, Gabriel, what, what, time, what, what time are we supposed to tour the galaxies? Yeah, I see the problem that's going on in humanity, but I can't, yeah, no. I see it and I understand it, but what else we got going on today, Gabriel? Could you imagine if God had been empathetic? Where he wanted to understand the pain? If he had only, if he had stopped there? Jesus would have never come. Jesus would have never died on a cross. We would all be splitting hell wide open this morning if Jesus had stopped short. You see, God was more than just apathetic. He was more than just sympathetic. He was more than just empathetic. He was compassionate. And as a matter of fact, God demonstrated something even greater than compassion. You say, what? I thought there was four responses. Yeah, there are four responses, four human responses. But there's a divine, non-human response that God showed us. If apathy, sympathy, empathy, and compassion are human responses toward pain and suffering, there is one greater non-human response, a divine response toward pain and suffering, one that goes even beyond compassion, one that goes even beyond what the Good Samaritan did. It goes beyond compassion. It's the agape love of God, the unconditional, perfect love of God. Of God. You say, Pastor, how is agape greater than, or does it even compare or different from compassion? How is agape greater than or different from compassion? It's simple. 
You remember what each one of these words said? Apathy said, I can't be bothered to see. Sympathy said, I see and I agree. Empathy said, I see and I want to feel too. Compassion says, I see and I'm going to get in the situation with you. Agape says, I see you and I'm going to trade places with you. I see you and I'm going to exchange. Compassion says, I see you and I'm going to join you. Agape said, I see you and I'm going to exchange places with you. I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to exchange my life for your life. We in and of ourselves only have the capability of responding in one of those four human, natural, psychological ways. But there is a response that trumps all four of those. It goes beyond the boundaries of compassion. It is and always has been the agape love of God. The love which is unconditional. The love which is never looking for anything back in return. You see, I can, ex- I can show compassion. I can get in the situation with someone. But if I don't have a plan for getting both of us out of it, we're still going to stay there together. And God said, that's not good enough. It's not good enough that I just show compassion. I've got to uncloak my divinity and lay it down, and I've got to climb into a human body and go down and be the substitution for all of them. I've got to trade my perfection for their imperfection. That's the love of God. That's what's going to fix racism in America. You see, agape love It's never looking for a loophole. It's never looking for a way out. It's looking for a way in. Agape love is never looking for an excuse. It's looking for an opportunity. This is why Jesus says in John 15, verses 12 and 13, he says, this is my commandment to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at verse 13. This is amazing. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Agape love is perfect. Agape love goes beyond any possible, comprehensible human response because not only does it try to put itself in the situation that the person is going through who's dealing with pain and suffering and crisis, it says it's, it's not, that's, that's good, but it's not good enough. The best is when I take the burden for you and I just exchange our places. That's the perfect love of God. Jesus said, I want you to follow after the example that I've given, which is that you love one another Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I read that, and I go, that's amazing. But I can't help but let the scripture one-up itself. Because the amazing thing about the love of God is that Jesus didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. That's when the scripture just comes and one-ups itself. 
John, 12, John 15 says, greater love is no man than this, but then a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5 verse 8 said, God demonstrated his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for his friends. He died for the people that hated him. He's hanging on the cross. Can you imagine the composure of the love of God? That Jesus is hanging on the cross, having been nailed there, and he's looking down at the people who did it to him, and he asks God to forgive them. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine the composure of the love of God? The substitutionary work of Jesus. There's, it's, there's a reason why the hymn writer says, O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. It says, and I'm going to botch the lyrics up, so I'm not going to try to quote it exactly, but it says that if the entire sky was a parchment and all the oceans of the world filled with ink, we still couldn't pen across all of the known universe and adequately describe the richness of God's love, that he left his royalty and took on our indignity. This is the reality and truth of the gospel. If you didn't hear anything I said so far today, I want you to hear this last part. This is the reality and the truth of the gospel. The only hope for equality in humanity. It is the good news of the perfect agape love of Jesus the agape love of the Father, the agape love of the Holy Spirit found in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and it is the only hope for the equality of humanity. It's the only thing that will cause white and black to come together. It's the only thing that will cause a black man and a white man to walk arm in arm and say, I'm willing to step into your shoes. When I was a kid, I grew up in a very integrated city. I'm not from Boone, if you haven't figured that out yet. I'm not from this area, and I grew up in a city in western New York, and I grew up in, in a neighborhood, on, on streets. We don't have, up there we don't have streets like we have here. Streets here are like, they wind, they go all over the place. Streets there, it was a big giant grid, and avenues go this way, and streets go this way. I often joke that when we're, when we're giving directions here in the mountains, we say, well, if you want to get there, you know, go, go about three miles and then turn north. When I was growing up, if you wanted to find some place, you go about six blocks and you turn left. It was just a different place. I lived in a very integrated place where everybody was on top of each other. All the houses are really close to each other. And our neighborhood was integrated. And our church was super integrated. My, I, I had, y'all know that I can sing, right? And I sing, and, and Leslie does, Leslie and Danny do a great job, so I haven't been playing and singing. But I learned how to sing by being a 12-year-old white kid 
and the only white kid in the choir. I learned how to sing. I learned about what it meant to walk beside a some, somebody and many people who had different color skin than I did. And I loved it. I loved every part of it. In fact, there's a lot of that that I miss in our, in our culture and in our church today. And it's my prayer that we will continue to see more people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation be represented in High Country Christian Church. Because, because when you go to Revelation, when you go to Revelation about chapter 9 and you see a picture of the throne of God, the Bible says that there is a sea of people innumerable in white robes. And the Bible goes to say from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every color. And we're all surrounding the throne. And do you know what we're singing? We're singing to, it says, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. And unto the Lamb, praise, glory, wisdom, and strength, honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. When you get to heaven, it's going to not just look like you. Glory to God. So I believe that the gospel is the only hope for the equality of humanity. Why? Why do I believe that? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this statement down. I want it to be burned in your heart forever. Why do I believe that the gospel is the only hope for the equality of humanity? It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only coherent ideology which actually assigns value to human life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only coherent ideology which actually assigns value to human life. Humanism won't get you there. Atheism won't get you there. Humanism, godlessness, not going to get you to valuing human life. As a matter of fact, it's going to go the opposite direction. Atheism doesn't lead us away from racism. It leads us back into it. And I don't want to take the time to get off and explain why that is true. But trust me when I say humanism doesn't produce an equitable society for everyone. Humanism produces the deepest, darkest divides in humanity. And you can look all through history to see that. Humanism produces however many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children are being aborted every day in our country. That comes from humanism. Humanism gives you the Holocaust. Humanism gives you Lenin in, in, in pre-Cold War Russia killing 15 million of his own people. That comes from humanism. There's only one ideology, there's only one world system, one worldview, one religion from all of time and space that actually assigns value to human life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus that alone determines the value of human life. The gospel is an equal playing field, providing life to anyone and everyone who will believe it. Why, why do I say that the gospel is the only ideology that can actually assign value to human life? 
is because it's the only system where the deity died to give his life to the people who needed it. No other world system offers the assignment of of value on human life. Every human life in the gospel of Jesus is valuable because Jesus himself died to provide the life. The gospel is an equal playing field providing life to anyone and everyone who will believe it. I can say that black lives matter as a Christian pastor and I can do so with confidence not because the hashtag tells me so but because the Bible tells me so. Because the cross of Jesus tells me so. Human life matters because Jesus gave his life in order to give value to every other life that would ever be created. There's no world, religion, ideology, creed, or political system that champions life the way the gospel does. If you really want to love your neighbor as yourself, start by praying for him. Start by praying for him. Hit your knees, man. Get on your knees and cry out for America. Cry out for our world. Cry out for the black community and say, Father God, I I want my black brothers and sisters to know the value of their lives because of the value of Jesus Christ. And I want anyone who would oppose them to know the value of their lives because of the gospel of Jesus. Let's stop looking for loopholes. And this, listen, this has nothing to do with politics or economics. Or I, I know that that's the way that the media wants to paint the picture. Can I be very honest with you for a moment? The media wants to paint a picture uh, that, that this is tied to one or two things. Well, it's, it's tied to economics or it's tied to this or it's tied to that. No, it may be found in those areas, but it's, it's connected to the fact that we're in a fallen world filled with fallen people who need Jesus more than they need anything else. Jesus will fix the heart of a white person who hates a black man or a black woman. Jesus can come and fix that. He can actually transform that person's heart. And so my prayer is that that's what happened first. It's going to take a long time to figure out how to create better systematic approaches to society. It's going to take a long time to figure out economics. It's going to take a long time to figure out sociological issues. But we got to go to the root. Amen. we got to go to the root. If you want to love your neighbors yourself, start by praying for them. And then expose them to the truth of the gospel. Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Listen, we are in a culture right now that is very vocal about what's going on. Black Lives Matter. This is a vocal issue. Raise your voice amidst that and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. It's the only thing that will change us. Expose them to the the truth of the gospel and then live like Jesus in front of them. Refuse to take part in anything that comes less and falls short of love your neighbor as yourself. Refuse to fall short of that. Live like Jesus in front of them. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. 
We're going to talk about this some on our Tuesday night call with my father and Dr. Bonnady, but if we don't come together over the gospel, if we don't come together over the gospel, society will keep us divided over everything else. If we don't come together over the gospel, society will keep us divided over everything else. The gospel is the only solution that brings us together while still allowing us and giving us permission to celebrate our diversity. The, the gospel is the only thing that will allow us to do that. When I was a kid and, and, and I grew up in a church that was, that, that oftentimes I was the minority, we would go, you know, to have lunch or have dinner after church with our, our black friends. And I can remember going to my black friends' houses and enjoying food I'd never tasted before. It was great. Y'all know how much I love food. I can remember going to Mother Lowry's house and tasting her rolls with butter on top of them. It was different from the Italian bread that I ate at home. First time I ever had collards were at her house, and man, were they good. You see, the gospel is the only framework that gives us the ability to come together and still allows us to celebrate the differences that we have, to celebrate the diversity that we have. There's a Latin phrase that we use in America, and it's a Latin phrase that's actually printed on our money. You've seen it before. And that is the phrase, e pluribus unum. You familiar with this? E pluribus unum. That phrase in Latin means, out of the many come the one. Out of the many come the one. You see, America, because I believe it was built on biblical principles, doesn't mean we got it right all the time. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we did have a good start. And America was founded on principles that the principle worked. Even, even when the people who wrote the principle down failed, the principle still worked. And the principle was e pluribus unum, which is out of the many come the one. We're a different nation full of different faces, different backgrounds, different tribes, different tongues, different colors. But we're supposed to be able to come together and celebrate all of that. And then our, and then our currency goes on to say, in God we trust. You see, I believe that God desires for every man, woman, and child from every creed to be able to come together and worship him. And the gospel's the only framework that allows us to do this. I want to close by saying, Wednesday I was on the phone with my dad, just downstairs in my office here, and I was talking with him. And we were, going, we were planning out our call with, with uh, Dr. Bonnety on Tuesday. and We were talking through it, and we just started talking about the issues that we're facing. We talked about how deep racism has gone in America and how atrocious it is. And we talked about how much better we as the church need to do. And I kid you not, as God is my witness, 
hand to God, hand on a Bible right here, right now. I'm talking to my dad on the phone, and I look out my office window into this parking lot right over here, and I see two children playing on their bikes. Two boys, couldn't have been more than 10 years old, riding around, playing, chasing each other, having fun. I look at it. I'm stunned at what I see because one of them is black and one of them is white. And I thought, oh, my God, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Because we have the gospel. Because we have Jesus. And if we can bring Jesus into the center of every conversation, then we'll always have the right thing to rally around. And we won't hate our diversity. We'll actually learn to love it. Amen. There's hope for the, for the nation because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're watching today online, there's hope. Because reconciliation can happen. Because Jesus is a reconciler. Because Jesus came down from heaven and traded places with us. He gives your life value today. Would you stand, those who are with me here today, would you stand? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.